Hello, I'm Stacey Piggott, and this is Seizing Life. Today, we're flipping the script to interview our very own Kelly Cervantes, Cure board member and regular host of Seizing Life. Kelly shares how she, with her husband Miguel, raised funds for epilepsy research. Among other things, the Cervantes family has partnered with Fairgrounds Coffee to sell Adelaide's Blend Coffee, available in all Chicago area Mariano's grocery stores. Kelly, thanks so much for letting us turn the tables and interview you for a change. Well, thank you for, for taking my job for a day. <laughs> Happy to. Um, I know you've spoken a lot on past episodes as well as just through um, all your many different uh, activities that you do around the area um, about Adelaide's epilepsy, but could you give us all a little review and background on Adelaide's um, journey with epilepsy? Absolutely. So, so the Cliff Notes version is, you know, she was... Um, she was born normal, happy, healthy delivery, um, but we quickly realized that there were a handful of issues. She was losing a lot of weight. She was having trouble eating, and at the time we didn't realize it, but now we know it was because she had really low muscle tone. Mm -hmm. And it always felt like you know there would be an issue, but she would get over it. It took her a little longer to get there, but she got there. Um, it took her a little longer to smile, a little longer to the, you know, those very, very early newborn uh, milestones that, that you look for. And then she stopped meeting milestones altogether. So by the time she was two months old, we had gone in for her um, pediatric checkup and the doctor was like, okay, she's not holding her head. She's not trying to roll over. I think it's time to see a neurologist. It took us two months to get in to see a pediatric neurologist. And we start on this crazy testing journey. Every test under the sun, MRIs, um, ultrasounds, every blood test you can imagine, we start doing genetic testing. And then the very next test on our list was an EEG. Three days before she was supposed to get that EEG, she had her first seizure at seven months old. And, um, we took her in for the EEG three days later, and we get the call from the neurologist saying, okay, you have to come in. And we had done an ambulatory EEG the first time. You have to come into the hospital, mm -hmm. do an inpatient EEG. It was abnormal, and, and we just, you know, we need to check this out. So we go in and do the 48-hour the EEG and come out of that with a generalized epilepsy diagnosis. Start her on a med, and she starts thriving. And, you know, we think to ourselves, okay, we've got this under control. You know, we don't have to worry about these seizures. Let's just figure out, you know, she's in therapy. We just, we need to, we need to get her up to, get her up to speed. Everything's gonna be okay. Um, at nine months old, I was actually, um, my husband, Miguel, had booked Hamilton in Chicago and we were getting ready to move from our home in New Jersey to Chicago. And I had flown out to find us a home and a preschool for my son. And I get a call from Miguel being like, she's acting really funny. I don't know what's going on. Her head keeps bobbing. It could just be head control, but it, it looks funny to me. And I, we both agreed, like, just take her to the ER. Yeah. We're not playing around, take her in. I get a call that evening from Miguel and the um, neurologist saying that she, they're diagnosing her with infantile spasms. Um, Adelaide, had developmentally been around a four-month-old at that time, 
she was nine months, she was developmentally around a four month, but um, physically a little further behind, but cognitively she was there. Mm -hmm. She was with us, she was laughing, she was smiling. Um, she made tons of noises. We used to joke that she was singing. Um, the child was, she was so noisy. Um, by the time I was able to make it back to New Jersey from Chicago, she was, that child was gone. Mm -hmm. I held a shell of the little girl that I had left behind. Um, and we've never gotten that little girl back. It's mm -hmm. always been um, one step forward, two steps back. You know, we, we eventually got her smile back. She eventually started making physical progress, but then the infantile spasms came back and, and we just sort of kept going on that journey until about a year and a half ago, we lost her smiles altogether. Um, since then, we've also lost um, consistent eye contact um, and you know we just sort of continue to watch as um, the seizures keep taking her away and there's just no treatment available out there that seems to, um, that seems to work. So that has, absolutely motivated our fight for her and also um, the platform that we have. We, you know, Hamilton came into our lives at the exact same time that Adelaide's epilepsy did. They, that, for us, that journey is so parallel. Um, so to have that platform and to, to have this sick daughter and to be able to you know, that there's only so much that we can do for Adelaide. I say this all the time, but, you know, I, I often feel at a loss for her. But we can use that platform. We can help get the word out there, and it, and it feels, it almost feels selfish to me to not, to not be out there and to not be shouting, you know, just the word epilepsy just from the rooftops, just getting it in people's minds and getting, you know, so that, that it's something that they're familiar with and, and trying to make them care. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. Epilepsy affects 3.4 million Americans. Learn more about cutting-edge epilepsy treatments and research at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. You made a choice. You decided to, as you said, start screaming from you know, the rooftops about epilepsy. Um, what drew you to CURE? In, in my former life, <laughs> prior to Chicago, prior to epilepsy, I worked for a restaurant group coordinating and selling events. I ran a department um, and I, you know, it was, it was such a rush and I, and I really enjoyed that. Interestingly, one of the events that I helped coordinate was um, Cures New York City Benefit. Um, Prior to epilepsy ever entering our lives, I had no idea what this was, but I was like, wow, those people from Chicago sure are nice. I really enjoyed working with mm -hmm. them. Fast forward, I believe, two years later, and I'm shooting off emails. I'm like, okay, we're moving to Chicago. My daughter has epilepsy cure. Like it, my immediate thought, I was like, I've got to get in touch with these people. I have to like, maybe they can help with recommendations or they can put me in touch with other families or, you know, w what is their... Um, you know, I, I just, I, I knew that I needed to get in touch with them and we were embraced by the organization. I got to, to sit down with several of the people who worked there and hear about Cure's mission for research, which just spoke so deeply to me. Um, 
after having just recently sat across from a doctor who said, we don't have a cure, we don't have any answers. We don't know why this is happening. And it's just mind blowing because you live in this day and age and you're like, well, we can cure cancer. Why can't you tell me how we're gonna stop these seizures? Like it just, so to sit across from these people who were just as exasperated, yeah. but were doing something about it. Yeah. It gave me hope in a way that I had not experienced prior to Adelaide's first seizure. And, and I was so moved by, by that feeling and that hope that I, I, I needed to be a part of this. So what activities are, um, have you been able to pursue um, through CURE? The very first uh, fundraising campaign that we did for CURE was, um, it was the original My Shot at Epilepsy campaign. And it was really simple in its function where it was just, um, an online fundraiser. It was an on, you know, a raffle of sorts, and you know, people just got to buy raffle tickets for different items. And um, but you know, we sort of got to use our platform to push it out. And in that very first campaign, we did it in November of 2016. So we had we had just moved to Chicago in September, and <laughs> a month and a half later, we're doing a. <laughs> <laughs> major fundraising yeah. campaign, and we raised a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, like we can we can really do something here mm -hmm. and and it was it was really exciting, and then you know, connecting with these other families and being able to use our voice, being able to speak publicly at events, to share our story, to move people. And the more that I spoke about it, the more opportunities started to come in, like Adelaide's Blend, mm -hmm. which was super exciting. That was really just through, it was friends making connections with other friends, um, introduced us to Michael Schultz, uh, who is the CEO founder of Fairgrounds Coffee and Tea. And he came to us and was, as a dad, was moved by our story and was like, my shot at epilepsy. Well, you could have a you know shot at a at a cure. You could have a shot of espresso, and he sort yeah. of spinned it, yeah. and all of a sudden, before we could blink, he had graphic design people designing a bag with Adelaide's picture on it and our story, raising money for cure, and it it's really all happened organically, just because we're public with our story, because yeah. we're speaking out. And I do wanna preface and say, it is much easier for us to speak out about our story because Adelaide cognitively is unaware. Mm -hmm. I am not, she is not trying to get into college. She is not trying, she's never gonna hold a job. Um, so there is no risk in her future in us speaking out. Yeah. Stigma and epilepsy is absolutely real. And, and I, I do not downplay that in any way, shape, or form, which only makes me feel that much more responsible for us to share our story because we can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but I, do, I do understand that it is not something that everyone can do, but I do think it is incredibly important um, that we all try. It's, and it, it's a really valid point, too, because that's something that advocates always need to weigh in and think about, mm -hmm. because as a parent advocate, you are you know, wanting to scream from the rooftops, you're wanting to kind of put it out there, yeah. but you do have decisions to make for your family and for your child impacted and make sure that you're doing right by them in the telling of the story yeah. and that you're telling the story as 
um, they would want it to be told. Exactly. And everyone's hope is that their child will progress to the point where they could have the ownership and responsibility to be able to tell that. Um, mm -hmm. You hope that that can happen, but you know, if that can't happen, you still want to be respectful of Absolutely. how you tell that story. And to that point as well, I think it's important to acknowledge that you don't have to have a man bun and be rapping on stage every night to be an advocate. You know, you don't have to have that platform necessarily. It can be anyone and everyone can be out there sharing their story or, you know, it doesn't have to be that big. It, you know, it can be as much as, um, you know, you know, hosting a run in your area or a bake sale or, you know, having someone come in and speak in your child's classroom. I've sort of developed my own little mind frame of, of advocacy over the last couple of years and sort of these different branches mm -hmm. of, of different ways that people can advocate. And, um, and I really try and stress to everyone that, you know, we can't, we can't advocate in all ways, but to try and find a way that you can, because no one is going to care about epilepsy, the research, the advocacy, all of it as much as we will, the ones who are affected by it. So it is up to us to make people care. No one is going to care as much as we do. So we have to, we have to impress on them why we're doing this mm -hmm. and why it matters. Um, so, you know, there is um, advocacy through politics. If there is legislation that needs to be passed that, you know, you don't agree with people who aren't following specific ADA rules, um, you know, getting in front of your legislators, getting in front of your city council, mm -hmm. making them aware that these are issues that need to be addressed, letting them know who is in the community. Right. Um, and, right. and it's not, this, it, this isn't right or left, Republican or Democrat, this is just getting out there and making sure that there is awareness from your elected officials as mm -hmm. to what is important to you and what needs to happen. Um, I would also say there's advocacy within education, and that can be both um, advocating for your child in the school system. We spoke about IEPs mm -hmm. on an earlier episode, um, but I also think that can be education perhaps within your workplace, yeah. making sure that, you know, okay, you, you are high functioning, you are working um, in your job, but there's a chance you could have a seizure there. Mm -hmm. What is your seizure protocol? Making sure that your employer understands, making sure that you know your colleagues understand and educating them about the condition as well. Um, uh, advocacy within, and this is probably one of the most important ones to me, and I think the most easily attainable is you know, advocacy within your social world. Mm -hmm. So I always try and use the word epilepsy as much as I possibly can. Someone will comment, oh, your daughter looks so sleepy. And I'm like, well, Actually, she has epilepsy and she had a seizure this morning, so she, mm -hmm. you know, she's, she's tired after having that yeah. seizure. So just trying to use that word, getting it into people's knowledge in the same way that Alzheimer's or Parkinson's mm -hmm. is. People just don't understand. Um, the fourth one is sort of a, a no-brainer, medical advocacy. This is advocating for yourself as the patient, advocating for your child as the patient. No one knows what is going on for your child or for yourself more than you do. So making sure that you are speaking up, um, whether that's getting nursing care in the home or um, advocating with the doctor, you know, trying to make sure that you're getting the best possible care that um, that you can. And and I cannot stress that enough. You know, having the fight. Mm-hmm.
you know, with the doctors and making sure that, you know, everyone is on the same page. And, and it's, it's just such a, such a necessity. And then finally, the one that our family has sort of latched onto immensely is um, advocacy through fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a challenging one, I think, for it a is. lot of people it's to wrap their heads around. Like going out and asking people for money mm -hmm. is can be uncomfortable, right? Like yeah. everyone has their own cause, everyone yes. has their thing. Yes. So why, why do they want to help you? Why, which is one of the ways that I, we got so excited about Adelaide's blend because mm -hmm. it's so simple. So many people drink coffee. Yeah. So I'm I'm not asking you to to donate, you know, five, ten, a hundred dollars, whatever. I'm asking you to buy not that bag of coffee, but this, this bag of coffee. Mm -hmm. And then some of that will go toward epilepsy research. Yeah. And so that was just such a, a beautiful way for us to sort of merge that together. And then don't get me wrong, I have no shame. So I also ask people for money all the time, constantly <laughs> as well. Um, because I care, because right. I have to, because I need hope because right. I need a cure for my right. daughter. And I think, you know, if anyone was faced with this situation, like both of us have been, you fight like hell for your child. Yeah. And the only answers out there right now are through research. So that's where our fight has to be. And so it's, you know, yeah, I'm going to ask people for money because yeah. we need it. My baby needs it. You know, you, like your point when you did your first fundraiser, the My Shot, and yeah. you're kind of thinking fundraising, fundraising, just, you know, you're never sure no. what that is going to look like. And then you hit 100,000, and I'm sure it just washes over you immediately of, that's that's a year of research. Yeah. That's a grant. You yeah. know, that that could be the grant. We don't yeah. know. Um, it, it's... Um, Cure gives a great platform of being able to translate that fundraising dollars into mm -hmm. something really... Um, really understandable, manageable, tangible, that yes. you just know exactly where that's going. Yes. Um, what is your experience partnering with a local company? What has that been like? And what advice do you have for other people to find a similar kind of partnership? So what I always try and tell people is reach out within your own network. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have sports connections, don't try and reach out to your local sports team to host an epilepsy night at you know the basketball court. Where do your connections lie? Are they in the food industry? Mm -hmm. Then you know try and host an event at a restaurant. Ask your friend who owns a restaurant if they'll do a give back night and then publicize that. Look at your contacts. Look who you're friends with. Look who understands what your day-to-day -day life actually looks like mm -hmm. and, and use those connections to try and, and build that fundraising support system. Um, that's how you're going to be the most successful. Um, and, and start small. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever that, you know, allow, if it's an event, if it is a fundraiser, if it is a school program, allow it to start small in one classroom with 20 people and, and then let it grow and expand. You don't have to shoot for the stars the first time because there is absolutely a learning curve. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, you're probably in the beginning doing it on your own. Although I will say that Cure has the program Cure Champions 
where they have someone in the office who will sort of help and guide you through the process and 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 sort of be a sounding board and, and send you materials that you need and that sort of thing. So you do, um, you are working hand in hand with someone in the office, but you're the person on the ground. And, and it is a lot of work and, you know, and um, so start small, let it be organic and, and let it be something that is in your wheelhouse. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think too that what, um surprised me in, in my own experiences with fundraising is that, you know, big or small, just have the event, just do it. Yeah. Just take a risk, do it. And it's amazing watching that network of people come in to support too. You, mm -hmm. The number of families um, who are also impacted kind of come out of the woodwork. And before you know it, that, you know, one event pretty quickly and easily becomes a second and a third event yeah. when you are able to tap into their network and yeah. their wheelhouse and it really can grow exponentially from there. So Absolutely. it's like, just, just get out there and do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is great advice. So let's just say someone is, you know, stumbling upon this podcast, newly diagnosed, surfing the web as we both did, looking for answers, looking for some kind of outlet for their grief, their mm -hmm. anger, their frustration. Um, they stumble upon this podcast. What, what advice or message would you give to them to start finding their own way in the space of advocacy? I would say find your community, yeah. um, be it local or online. I am a member of, I don't know how many Facebook groups, <laughs> all <laughs> revolving around, uh, um, <laughs> all revolving around epilepsy and, and, and that, because I live in Chicago, which is great. I was able to meet so many families who are affected, and um, but not everyone lives in a major city or knows other people. So that online community, finding that um, so that you don't feel alone, I think is step one, mm -hmm. um, that camaraderie. And then find your local organization or reach out to Cure and, and make those connections and um, they can connect you with other families as well. And then just start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Talk about it in your regular life with the people who are close to you. Get comfortable talking about it um, because that will make all the difference in the world. And, you know, by no means do you have to get out there and, and start raising money tomorrow, but just start small. Just yeah. chat about it. Get comfortable and, and that'll make a huge difference and, and the rest of it will follow. You know, I think one of your best pieces of your many great pieces of advice is to just talk about it, chat about it. And we're just so thankful for your openness and your friendship and your support um, uh, in helping to organize all of this and um, giving back to the community. It's making such a great impact. So thank you so much for <laughs> um, doing the podcast and, of course, for talking with us today. So happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing your journey from mom to advocate who chose to help your daughter and countless other children who suffer from epilepsy. If you want to contribute to epilepsy research, please consider purchasing a bag of Adelaide's Blend. You can find Adelaide's Blend online at cureepilepsy.org backslash Adelaide's Blend, or in Chicago, you can visit Fairgrounds Coffee or Mariana's Grocery Stores. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only 
and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.